Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey everyone. Uh, so if you were with us last week, we started off a new sermon series on the book of Psalms that we're calling Songs for the Season. We're entering into a new season as a local church, and it's really exciting. You know, despite all of the craziness that's been going on around us, and even in light of some of the hardships, I think that God has been very faithful and good to us as a church. But whatever season you are personally in, there is a psalm that will meet you there. And our engagement with the psalms will help give us perspective on every season of our lives. Now, if you're just reading through the psalms from song 1 to song 150, it can be hard to see any order behind the compilation. Now, there is an order. There is a reason why psalms is laid out the way it is. But that's easier to see, really, from a bird's-eye perspective, from an overview. But when you're in the midst of it, reading from one to the next, it can feel like these poems and songs are just on shuffle. So we thought it'd be really helpful to break it down into certain mixtapes or playlists, drawing out themes and moods and motifs that run throughout the Psalms, and then relating that back to the overarching structure of the book of Psalms. We've already heard a reading from two of our psalms from our worship team, Psalm 39 and 49. So let's turn now to the last track in our mixtape, Psalm 90. Here's what it says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So today's playlist is featuring such artists as Moses, David, and the Sons of Korah, which is a pretty good band name. These are different people, different eras, different walks of life, but all of them are dealing with the same sort of theme. And it's a theme that's not really explored in a lot of our modern Christian songs. Now, there are plenty of psalms that fit really well in our worship sets. These ones, not so much. When our worship team was reading these, it might have felt a little odd. Did you hear the words of David in Psalm 39? Here's the last verse of this song. 
Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. That's the last line. David telling God, look away from me so that I can enjoy life again. That's not a lyric you're likely to hear on Christian radio. People would complain. Or how about this from Psalm 49? For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. We're not that charismatic of a church, but I doubt that there's a lot of congregations that would raise their hands to those lines. It's just depressing. You know, I like my worship song to be more affirming of me. Tell me how loved I am and how precious and beautiful and special I am to God. But Moses calls us dust. He compares us to grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. David says in Psalm 39, Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. These are songs and poems and prayers that are wrestling with the meaning of life. You could do well in life. You could succeed in life, be a winner, amass wealth and riches. You can even have land named after you, be important. But it's not going to matter in the end. The sons of Korah put it this way, Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. And here's how Moses describes life. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. That's life. 70, maybe 80 years, filled with trouble and sorrow. Why? Because they quickly pass and we fly away. Death ruins everything. Death ruins everything. You know, the contention of Christianity is that mankind is fallen. We sinned. We disobeyed God. And because of our sin, death reigns. The penalty of our sin is death. David says this in Psalm 39, With reproofs you chasten a man for iniquity, you consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. And Moses says, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. We are dead in our sins and we stand guilty before a holy and righteous God. That's a problem. We can't escape the wrath of God and we can't overcome death. Our wealth won't save us. Our accomplishments won't save us. 
Our work won't save us. Even our attempt at righteousness won't save us. So what's the answer? What is the answer to sin and death? You know, none of these writers knew the specific name of Jesus of Nazareth, but they do know that the answer lies in the hands of God, who is merciful and compassionate and loving. They don't know how he's going to do it. They don't know when. But through God's Spirit, each of them proclaims the same answer. It is God that is our hope. He is the answer to death and sin. He is the remedy to our existential crisis. He is the counter to our nihilism. He is the antidote to our despair. He is the catastrophe, the good catastrophe that can change death to life, sin to holiness, and restores purpose and meaning to empty lives. David declares, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. David doesn't have the answer, and he's even frustrated by it. But his hope is in God, and his hope is not in vain. Unbeknownst to him, through, through his line about a thousand years later, comes Jesus of Nazareth, who is God incarnate, who lives a life without sin and takes on all the transgressions of David and pays the price for them in his stead and justifies David before God the Father. And he does the same for us as well, conquering our sin. Not only does he conquer sin, but listen to the hope in Psalm 49. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Oh, inexplicably, they don't know how, they don't know when, but they hope and believe that God will save them from death. And that hope is not in vain because hundreds of years later, Jesus of Nazareth rises from the dead and walks out of a tomb victorious over death so that we who place our hope and trust in him will also rise with him in those days. He's the answer to sin. He's the answer to death. And then Moses says this, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Restore meaning and purpose in our toil. Take our sorrow and our trouble and turn it to joy and gladness. And that is what Jesus of Nazareth does. 
When God rescues us from sin and death, our toil is no longer in vain, but we become co-laborers with Christ, laying up treasure that will never spoil or fade. As Peter says in 1 Peter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus establishes the work of our hands that Moses prayed for when we become kingdom workers in him. And he takes our days of sorrow and our years of trouble and he turns it to joy. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And that was true. Jesus dies and the world rejoiced and his disciples grieved. But then they meet the resurrected Lord and their grief turned to joy. And that's true for all of us. When we meet the resurrected Lord in our suffering, suddenly it's no longer meaningless. But in the hands of the Father, it's the very tool that he uses to refine us and make us like the Son. And we will see him face to face and our joy will be complete and it will never be taken from us. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet, and the troubles and transitoriness of life are reminders to us that this is not our home. You know, we've been meeting out on the lawn for our Sunday services, and i got to be honest, I thought I would hate it. You know, we have great facilities here. We put money into it. We just updated our sanctuary. New look, new lighting, new sound system, and it, it sounds great, and it looks great. We have projectors and visual aids and air conditioning, and it's all there. It's all ready to go. It's turnkey. Every single week, we have to set up all this equipment and then tear it down. It doesn't look as good. It doesn't sound as good. We have no visual aids. It's hot. We got cars zooming by and airplanes buzzing overhead. And I thought I would hate it. But I really kind of love it. Now, we, we can so easily delude ourselves that we're established. We have a building. You know, human beings can even dupe themselves into thinking that they're immortal. And the church even can be so at home in this world that we need to set up and tear down. Set up and tear down. Set up and tear down. Nations rise, nations fall. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Leaders rise, leaders fall. People live, people die. Sunrise, sunset. Man is a breath. This is temporary. We're just passing through. We're aliens here, strangers. David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like all my fathers. I love how Moses starts his prayer here. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. What a remarkable statement that is, given the circumstances. 
Moses is in the desert wandering without an established home. And he doesn't say, you will give us a dwelling place. No, he says, you have been our dwelling place. You are our dwelling place. And for all generations, they were just slaves. I mean, one generation before lived and died as slaves. Generation after generation lived and died as slaves in Egypt. But I am certain that at least some of them lived better lives than we. Because they lived for what was eternal. Painful lives, yes, but lives that were not deluded into thinking that this world is their home but instead clung to their true dwelling with God and focused on the everlasting because this world had nothing for them. We can be so lost and caught up in the temporary and the fleeting things of life. Slaves don't get to choose what they do with their lives. Slaves don't get to choose how they spend their days. But we can be so preoccupied with what we do rather than with who we know. You know, some of the most potent and profound songs that we have in Christianity comes from American slaves. Give Me Jesus is one of those songs. You know, its lyrics are so haunting in its simplicity, but rich and eternal in truth. It says, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world but give me Jesus. Well, may that be our song. You know, even among all of this blessing and provision and liberty and grace that we experience daily, may we not be entangled in the temporary or lose sight that our security and dwelling is found only in the arms of Jesus. This book of Psalms is pointing us to him even if these poets didn't know his name. He is the Messiah that they sing about. He's the answer to their lamentations. He's the recipient of their praise and worship. He's the wellspring for all of their hallelujahs. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.